All right. Well, um, hello, everybody. I am Josh Gross. And I'm Chance Lee. And this is, once again, Gross Misinterpretation, where we look at popular media from a queer viewpoint. Today, we'll be discussing Elevation by Stephen King. Okay, we'll start off with our dueling plot summaries. I managed to summarize this book in 97 words. Wow. And yeah, here they are. You can count them if you want to. Okay, good. Um, Here we go. Scott Carey is a divorced millionaire website designer who lives in Castle Rock, Maine, a town of indeterminable size. After a long... After a long-legged lesbian couple's dogs poop on his lawn, Scott takes it upon himself, unasked, to reform the town's prejudiced view of the long-legged lesbians who don't keep their dogs on a leash. He also has an unexplained mystical illness that is causing him to lose weight without changing shape, and he tries to become a hero before the day he inevitably floats away. He does at the annual turkey trot, then he floats away. Bye, bitch. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Spoiler alert for anyone who who hasn't read Elevation. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, That was excellent. In Elevation, a new horror has come to Castle Rock, Maine. Homophobia. Only one straight, white, rich, dog poop policeman full of hot air can save the town and the bitchy lesbians from the terrifying homophobia before he floats away forever. (laughs) That should really be on the book flap. I think so, too. It's better than what oh. actually is on the book flap. I don't think I, I don't even think I've read the book flap. Well, I have my, let me open my flap for you. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so, my goodness. Uh, the end, yeah, I know, yeah, I know. Good thing we're not on video. So at the end of the flap, um, it says, from master storyteller Stephen King, who, quote, has always excelled at writing about real people tested by unreal situations, the Washington Post, comes mm. this compelling comes this compelling tale about finding common ground despite differences, a magical story with deep resonance for our time. Yeah, I think a lot of people bought into that, um, especially usually reputable reviewers, um, as I've noticed, um, as I've read all these different reviews. Everybody seems to have... Uh, really bought into the bullshit Stephen King's selling this time around. What did some of them say? Um, well, they, they all kind of sound like that, you know. It's it's magical, it's hopeful. The Washington Post basically said it's a poignant parable of prejudice overcome and resentment healed. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and then the other one was the New York Times. Who reviewed it for the New York Times? Was it another set of pun because he's light and floats away? Apparently. Um, this is by Gilbert Cruz. Oh, I don't know him. But mm. people on people on Goodreads don't really like the book. Um, it only has really? a 3.7 average on Goodreads, which is pretty low for a Stephen King book. Oh, I'm surprised. I read a lot where everybody was just like, oh, it's so good. Oh, I just love this book, um, including one of my own Goodreads friends. So I just oh. assumed everybody on Goodreads loved it too. No, and the audiobook, which has a different page and rating altogether than the physical book which i, oh. I th- find unusual because they usually yeah. combine them um but it has an even lower score of only 3.54 hmm interesting uh, people don't people don't enjoy it at all they think it's too short and simplistic oh why don't we talk about the context josh i think that's a great idea um elevation came out uh last year in the fall and it was the second of two student books that came out last year, the first being The Outsider, um, which I didn't read. Um, I just read bad reviews about it. Um, despite, Were they related at all? 
Um, no, they weren't related at all. They're just he had something else to to publish that year. I see. Um, despite the fact that it's it's clearly a novella, um, Elevation was published as a standalone hardcover book with the usual hardcover price tag. Um, so I wasn't interested in buying it because of that and because I really haven't been that interested in what Stephen King's been putting out. But this has been a growing trend with Stephen King novellas, um, particularly old ones that have already been published. They're being published by themselves as if they are new and marketed to millennials who don't know any better. Um, I've had to warn a few people now that they can find the novella they're trying to buy um, used in an old Stephen King collection. So I've, I noticed they're kind of doing that now. What are some of them that have been republished that way? So one of my friends came up and tried to buy, um, I think it was a novella of The Body. I'm pretty sure it was The Body because I was like, you know, you could just go buy an old copy of Different Seasons because this is what this is from. And they, they had no idea. They're like, oh, okay, great. Good to know. Um, and there oh. was another one. There's another one that came out recently that I saw also where I was like, oh, this is another one just like that. So that's kind of an interesting cash grab thing that's going on with uh with his publisher or i don't know maybe it was his mm -hmm. idea i don't know yeah who knows um anyway um lots of people were buying elevation when it came out and um seemed to really like it um and this this uh, other bookseller i knew also read it and really liked it and made it sound like it was the best stephen king book ever written um and so you know i valued his opinion and decided well okay i'll give it a try and, and see what it's like. And I was extremely disappointed. Um, so I gave it to my mom when I was down visiting her last time. It looks like it's gotten consistently good review, not just from the Stephen King fans, but the normally reputable book reviewers I mentioned earlier. But I'm glad to hear that some people on Goodreads don't like it. Yeah, it has a pretty low score, especially for a Stephen King book. Rose Matter, which was the other one we talked about, that had maybe like a 3.6 or something. Um, and that has that reputation, you know, as being like the worst Stephen King book ever or something right. like that. It's also um, had more time to get reviews, though, I guess, because more people have probably read it than Elevation at this point. Yeah, but it was around like before Goodreads, you know, so how many people are reading it? Like, you know, well, um, that's true. But it, so it has so Rose Matter has 86,000 ratings and it has a 3.69 and Elevation has 42,000 ratings and has a 3.7 and the audiobook is even lower. No. Um, so this is down there. Maybe someday Stephen King will throw this book under the bus. Maybe so. That audiobook must be pretty stinky. The audiobook seems to have some bonus short story called Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, that he reads. Oh, yeah. I saw that um, in somebody else's review. I was surprised to see that. I had no idea. Do you know that story or is it only on this audiobook? Nope. It's only on the audiobook. Oh, hmm. maybe that's why it gets its own entry on Goodreads since the book book doesn't have that. Oh, maybe um, so. But what it does have is a dedication to Richard Matheson. It's it, the dedication page says "Thinking of Richard Matheson," which is nice, I guess, unless he's thinking of him on the toilet or something like that. <laughs> um, but so I was like, "Oh, Richard Matheson, who's that?" So I googled his name, and he um, was an author who wrote the book "I Am Legend." Oh, which yeah. was made into a movie. And um, he also wrote The Incredible Shrinking Man, um, which was a sci-fi book in like the 40s or 50s that was turned into a movie in the 50s. Um, the interesting thing is that the protagonist of The Incredible Shrinking Man is also named Scott Carey, which is the 
exact same name Stephen King gives his protagonist. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I haven't seen The Incredible Shrinking Man or read it, but I did read the Turner Classic Movies page on The Incredible Shrinking Man, and they called it, quote, a male anxiety nightmare, which, <laughs> which I mean, you can almost describe Elevation in that way, in a sense. Yeah. Um, Cause the incredible shrinking man is it, it's, it seems to be about a man who's he's physically shrinking. Like in this book, Scott is losing weight, but he looks the same all the time. Mm-hmm. He just steps on the scale and gets lighter, but incredible shrinking man. He actually shrinks, shrinks, shrinks until eventually like spiders are bigger than him. It has a tarantula named Tamra, which is also my mother's <laughs> name. Oh my God. <laughs> and um, so the man gets smaller and smaller in the incredible shrinking man, but it seems to get more and more frustrated, I think. Uh Um, Whereas this book seems to be about a man getting smaller yet just somehow accepts it. Like he, he doesn't seem to have any problem with it whatsoever. Like he is accepting of it from the very beginning. He is. He didn't seem to have any anxiety about it. He didn't really seem to to care much about why it was happening. Um, He did investigate a little bit, but yeah, he didn't really seem to care all that much. No, he's just calculated like, okay, I'm going to be zero pounds on like this day. And then I guess I'll float away into space. What am I going to do with my time until then? Um, Which is nuts. Well, thank God those those long-legged lesbians come around to take a shit on his lawn, or at least their dogs do. (laughs) Give him a a purpose in life. They did have some sexy legs on them. Yeah, why don't you talk about the long-legged lesbians, Missy and Deirdre? All right. Well, yeah, for this book, the specific gays are uh, Missy and Deirdre. They are Can I interrupt for one second? Sure. Um, How old are they supposed to be? Like, are they around his age? Scott's 42. Oh, I thought they were younger. I thought they were maybe like in their 20s or 30s. I thought they were younger too, but like, so this book literally takes place in like 2017, right? It takes place Uh within the Trump presidency because that's specifically mentioned. Yes. So if like who in like 1990 would name their daughter Deirdre? <laughs> maybe That's my question. Maybe somebody that was an Anne Rice fan. I think that was one of the, the Mayfair witches. So that that's reasonable. Somebody oh. could have used the name Deirdre because of that. Or Days of Our Lives, Deirdre Hall. She plays Marlena. There you go. That's probably more popular. They could have been pregnant watching that Satan possession storyline and been like, this is the name for my daughter. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So tell us more about Missy and Deirdre. Do you know so, any Deirdre's in real life? Like, do you know a Deirdre? I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever met a Deirdre. Same. I'm going to pay more attention now. Yeah. I'm going to go through my library card catalog and i mean not you know what i mean not the card catalog but <laughs> a list of a list of my patrons and see if any of them are named deirdre yeah i'm gonna but be anyway, on the lookout for you, deirdre now you tell us about them um anyway missy and deirdre they're um they're married um they're mar- women that are married to each other um and it's, to each other yeah can you believe it it's oh like my a goodness spit in, the, spit in the face to small towns everywhere <gasps> I'm in a small um, town and I'm clutching my invisible pearls right now. They, um, so it is just presumed that they're, they're straight up lesbians. There's, there isn't really any discussion of whether they, they might be bisexual. Um, they're just lesbians, I guess. And they're married well, to each other. 
Although one of them is jealous of Scott and is like, seems to think that I think Deirdre is jealous and is worried that like Missy and Scott might have a thing. I don't know if that's necessarily what she was worried about. Oh, okay. If I were her and I was, and I was married to Missy and I hated Scott and Missy kept going over and talking to him, especially telling him all our personal secrets and our marital problems, I'd probably be pretty pissed about it too. That's true. Anyway, um, they came up from Boston, um, a big, bigger met- metropolitan area, um, to open a restaurant, Holy for Holy, um, in Castle Rock, of all places, where there doesn't no, they're appear- white ladies opening a Mexican restaurant. Yes, they um, apparently. Okay. There wasn't any discussion of. I don't remember there being any discussion of their race. Um, I think they're just presumed white because Stephen King would think white would be the default. Um, right, and there, and there wasn't. Mean. Well, I feel like people in this town would be even more upset if they were married Latina lesbians. Oh, absolutely. We would have Stephen King would be exercising even more racial slurs. Yeah. No. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, no, there really wasn't much mention of that. I guess it's just supposed to be assumed that they're they're white because otherwise they yeah the town would be more pissed at them um and there's also apparently no other gays in castle rock um i would think the first thing missy and deirdre would want to do when moving to the town was, was find the other gays um or the uh, the other gays that live in the town would want to go to their restaurant because they're apparently well known that they're they're lesbians and they're married and they own this restaurant so i would think that if there were other gays in the area they would want to go there and meet them and welcome them to whatever small sad gay community they have in that area but apparently mm-hmm. there aren't any other gays because they seem awfully isolated. They don't seem to have any other friends. Um, and it seems really um, unrealistic in that regard. I don't know. You know, I, it, yeah, it could be. It depends on how small this town is, which is completely in, indeterminable, which we'll talk about later. You know, I don't know how many there would be. Oh, well, I mean, I suppose it's realistic that there wouldn't be too many other gays. But, you know, there's just there's got to be one somewhere. <laughs> one who really wants a taco. Yeah, right. So there does seem to be some confusion about how big Castle Rock actually is. Also, there's other towns in the immediate area where they could eat at their own Mexican restaurants if they really wanted to. So I don't know if they're, you know, gays from other towns would want to go to the effort of traveling to Castle Rock just to, to meet these particular lesbians. Especially since they're not very nice people. Uh, once again, um, I, I question that as well. Um, I wouldn't be nice to Scott either. Um and that, that is the next thing I wanted to talk about anyway. Um, I wouldn't be nice well, to him either. Um, I, if I was Deidre, I'd have no reason to trust him in any way. Um, and I would immediately distrust him, actually, because he, you know, he's just he's a straight, white, rich man that's trying to... They also to, don't um, keep their dog on a leash and it's pooping all over the place and they're not picking it up. They're not jogging see- with poop, doggy bags for poop. I think that's also unrealistic. Most of the lesbians I know are very responsible pet owners. Well, Deirdre and Missy are not. Well, we'll just have to go with that, I guess. And yeah, I'd be pretty pissed off too if you know people were just letting their dogs shit in my yard. Um, but I still wouldn't like the guy. But isn't he just bothering them because their dog is pooping on his lawn and he's right? Yeah, but it also goes back to this whole... Um, persona that scott's trying to to convey where he's mr nice guy he's mr neighborly um he just wants to be good neighbors um 
when he also doesn't feel it necessary to to learn anything or care about LGBT issues in any way. He just wants the lesbians to trust him and do what he wants them to do and um, and worship him, apparently. <laughs> okay, that's, well, I mean, he gets to that point later on, but... It does, and know. it really I mean, bugs me. There are a lot of people that you have to live with in a small town, and... You know, it helps. You want to, you know, be nice to your neighbors, even if you may not. You don't need to, like, I don't know what what would you expect from him as their neighbor? Okay, I mean, well, I, I will I will concede that Deidre was a little overly hostile. Um, but I wasn't going to blame her too much for distrusting him in the first place. But, yeah, she's a little overly hostile towards him to start out with. He, you know, he tries to be nice and say that your dog pooped on my lawn and she says, well, it wasn't our dog. And your problem is that we're lesbian married. And (laughs) you know, it's just like, I mean, he's, as far as we know, he's given them no reason to, to think that, I mean, other people may have, because they, they do have it hard, but you know, she's, she's very rude to him. To begin. Yes. And also, Um, I did feel that her response to him was very unrealistic with that whole, oh, is this because of your intolerance to gay marriage or whatever the heck it is she said? Um, It just seems so uh, unnatural and not something that, you know, anyone would have said, especially that quickly into the situation. Yeah, I I don't know if part of that, I mean, part of that may be because this is like a novella and he's trying to just get to the point, but it just, it really doesn't do a service to any of these characters. They all seem like lunatics or assholes or idiots. You know, no one is fleshed out in this, this format. But yeah, they're not very well written and none of the characters are very well developed. Except their legs. Ooh. <laughs> yes, except for their that. Their legs are very well developed. But I also felt that I would, I would distrust Scott, especially considering he keeps trying to be Mr. Nice Guy. He keeps trying to bother them and, you know, be their friend or, like, try to help them against the town's homophobia. Even when Deidre specifically states that she doesn't want this straight savior, he just continues on anyway. Well, why don't we move on to talk about that? So no one is eating at their Mexican restaurant, not according to people in the town, not because they're lesbians, but because they're married lesbians. That's the issue is the marriage part. Yes. Apparently the town takes it completely personally. And as a, just like a kick in the face that these women dare to be married. Well, we're specifically told that the town, yeah, the town voted in favor of Donald Trump for president. That is like literally mentioned. Um, So there's that like political aspect to it. But yeah, I'm not sure if that is a, a thing. You know, that 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 people are fine with it, except for the fact that they're me. I don't know that that seemed unusual to me, that particular sticking point. I mean, I could see them having I could see people even in 2017 having a problem with lesbians in their small town. Like, that's not unrealistic Sure. for it to for it to be like, oh, no, we're fine with them being gay, but not married. Seems strange. It does. And the homophobia that we do read about in the book is odd um and it has kind of a weird awkward feel to it um and i think it's um it's because of what you were mentioning about how he doesn't really understand or think about like systemic homophobia um as opposed to some random diner guy calling them crack snackers oh yes the return of the crack snackers stephen king's favorite lesbian slur from rose matter yeah Um, that's 
that's how Scott kind of finds out what's going on. He overhears someone in in this diner talk about that crack snacking restaurant. Um, and then doesn't he try to stand up to that guy or something? Yeah, they um, almost get into an altercation. Because, you know, yes. you almost, that happens all the time, I guess, in small towns. Is you almost get into a fist fight in a diner over lesbians. Happens to me at the library every day. But... Um, <laughs> So, yeah, then he decides, so he decides, Scott then decides to go patronize their, well, patronize is a good choice of word, double meaning here. It definitely he is. Decides to, <laughs> he decides to go eat at their Mexican restaurant and then think he's going to, like, save their business, right, by changing the town's mind about lesbians? Right. Suddenly it's his job to, to um, cure the townsfolk of homophobia. And she gets mad at him because she says he doesn't, she doesn't need his help. And he says about her, here is a woman who didn't want an olive branch. And he had believed naively, it seemed that everyone wanted one of those, but he doesn't stop. He still like concocts this plan to fix the town reputation by like beating her in a foot race. Right. Like none of this made sense. So his plan is to, because so she has hot legs, which are mentioned every time she shows up on the page. Yeah. Because she was a runner, um, and when the town is getting ready for its twelve k turkey trot, Scott decides he's going to enter and beat her, and then that then everyone will love them. Well, he made right? a, like he made a bet with her. Um, oh. It wasn't his initial intent for the town to be completely rescued from homophobia um, by this oh. race. He made a bet with her that if he beat her, that he they had to come over to his house for dinner and be civil to him or something like that. Oh, okay. So he's just trying to, to open up her mind. Yes, without having to do anything... Of, on his own or, you know, change anything that he thinks or feels or anything like that or have any right, sort of a character arc. No, he really doesn't. So they enter this, this Turkey trot, which is a 12 K race. And like the fiercest race that I've ever seen happen in a book. Yeah. It was like, intense. you would think you would think this was the Boston marathon. People take it so seriously. Yeah. Like I, you know, I've run, I, I, 12K is like, I think about eight miles. So it's not, you know, it's not a short race, but it's not a marathon. Um, but it's also just like this small town race. But people are taking it so seriously. They're like literally collapsing on the side of the road. And yeah. writhing in pain. Like I would think, okay, I'm running this turkey trot. Oh, oh, I'm getting tired. Like maybe I'll walk or like, you know, maybe I'll lean up against a tree or have a seat instead of like, I'm just going to push myself until I literally collapse. Cause I've got to win this Turkey trot. Yeah. It was very intense like, and kind of reminiscent of uh, his, uh, his story, the long walk where um, they're the, the kids are forced to, to keep walking from like New Hampshire to Boston. And if they stop or they go off the road, they're shot. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you think these people were shot, they're falling on the ground. Scott's like vaulting over like horizontal bodies. Yes. And it's so dramatic. And yeah, it's just it's just nuts. So then like, oh, yeah, a runner abruptly swerved off the road, went to his knees and rolled over on his back, looking up into the rain with his mouth drawn down in a bow of agony. <laughs> a bow of agony. It's the turkey trot. 
hey, they take this shit seriously. They really want to light that Christmas tree. They really want to come back on December 10th and light that Christmas tree. Whether they live there or not. Right, because they make a big deal about saying how no one, no local has ever won this race. Right. But the prize is to light the local town Christmas tree. Which doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Like, I'm picturing the tree from, like, Batman Returns. Like, right. Like, drop a princess off a building to light this tree. Like, it better be that dramatic. <laughs> Maybe that's the horror part that we didn't get to see. The winner actually is dropped from a helicopter. Yeah, like the poor the ice plunger princess. to light the tree. Yeah. Rest in peace, ice princess. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so Deirdre falls over. And Scott helps her up. And then, like... It's in the paper, and then everyone loves her? Because, like, look at this guy picking up this long-legged lesbian? I think this is another example of um, bridging the divide, which is a a popular um, idea lately, I guess. Um, And, yeah, with this picture of, you know, this, you know, local guy helping this lesbian that everybody hates, they they think, oh, well, maybe she's not so bad after all, even if she did have to be married and spit in the face of this town. But, like, Scott isn't, he's not, like, a local personality or, like, you know, he's not, why does he have so much influence over what the town thinks? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I know she she tripped right at the finish line, um, and then he helped her up and helped, and so she could continue and so that she could win and then and then they're best friends and then it floats away yeah then they're really best friends those lesbians suddenly love scott um so much and they're so upset about his plight oh right they all cry over it he reveals to them his deep dark secret and then they personally identify with it because they too have once held a deep dark secret that they can't change and is a natural part of them yeah, because one of them says at one point, why feel bad about what you couldn't change? Why not embrace it? Yeah. In my opinion. Um, yeah, the first time I read this book, I was mostly concerned with um, Stephen King's male gaze being all over this. But um, the second time I read the book, it really just pissed me off. Especially right, you're Scott. so distracted by legs the first time, you don't realize how, how bad it actually is. Well, yeah, I'm like, oh my God, look at all these sexy lesbian legs. How can I concentrate on what a douchebag Scott is? It's like when they reveal Anna Nicole Smith in the third Naked Gun movie and they just pan up and up her legs, you know, and she's got like <laughs> six knees, you know, they just, it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. <laughs> like exactly. That's pretty much this, this book. Um, yeah, I counted at least um, eight examples throughout the book of Stephen King's male gaze. Um, there might have been my- ones that I missed. My favorite is when they're about to eat cake with whipped cream and the text says, Deirdre applauded. She was flushed, her eyes sparkling, a woman with every part of her body clearly operating in top form. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know what that had to do with anything, um, especially I get, not with I eating whipped cream. I'm, I'm definitely not in top form and I'm still able to enjoy some whipped cream. And... <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> Also, there's this really awkward phrase where Scott Scott says he had an idea. She had a fine smile when she really let it rip, and just let it like let it. I, if this were a movie, I would want her to smile, and then there'd just be this like wet, rubbery, whoopee cushion sound effect. Right, and she's literally letting it rip. Let it rip. 
But, you know, the problem with the awkward phrasing and then man just wanting woman to smile at him. Yeah, which is another problematic thing that he shoved in there, which I didn't even notice. Yeah. That whole um, wanting women to smile thing. Well, one thing we haven't really talked about yet is Scott's relationship with Dr. Bob. (laughs) Is that his name? Yes, Dr. Bob. Um, He goes into these long, paragraph-long descriptions of both uh, Deidre and Missy, but he does not give a single word of description to Dr. Bob, um, which uh, I think is very telling. Um, Dr. Bob and him also have at least two awkward homophobic jokes between them um, to try and ward off the gay vibes from the situation. Oh, yes, like when they're going to meet for dinner and and Dr. Bob says, a mandate. Next, you'll be asking me to marry you. <laughs> right. Or when he was um, having to take off his clothes so he could get, off, get on the scale in the beginning of the book. And he's like, usually I have music when I'm doing my stripper dance. <laughs> I don't remember that part. Yes. I was just like, oh, my goodness. Yes. You couldn't just take off your clothes and get on the scale in front of another man without it being an awkward gay moment. So let's make a joke. Yeah, you should write your fan fiction about them secretly doing it. Yes, because that's clearly what broke up his marriage. Scott takes his clothes off and he's like, wow, that's not the only thing elevating in this room. Hey, oh. <laughs> I think it's a solid theory. Scott and Dr. Bob, he's... it's their gay love for each other. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And they're also really awkward, like when Dr. Bob teases Scott for calling Missy Missy. Oh, yeah, like like, like he's teasing it, her for liking her or something in grade school. Yes, but also, like, just because he uses her first name. It's 2017, and Scott is 40. Like, no 40-year-old in this day and age calls someone, like, Mrs. So-and-so. Right. Who who talks like that? Well, a lot of... There's a lot of that kind of thing, um, especially with the usual small-town BS that Stephen King writes about. Um, they, they all kind of have a, an old-fashioned way of talking sometimes. Scott, yeah, Scott also tells some teenagers who run past him during the turkey trot, go with your bad selves. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the teenagers were very impressed with his uh, on-point slang. Right? It's supposed to be almost like sincere. And he doesn't even say, go on with your bad selves. It's literally just go with your bad selves. Like, just go, go with your bad selves. Bye. <laughs> Don't stay out too late. <laughs> Yeah, their their masculinity issues shine through, and another another minor yeah, one that comes up is when Scott is running and he thinks he can't do it, and he says, "Maybe I just don't have the sack for this." Right, and I'm like, "How big of a scrotum do you need to run a 12k?" Because, like, the lesbian's doing a good job, and she doesn't have any sack. You're absolutely right on that point. There's this like insecure masculinity thing that that goes through the whole book. Um, it's very mm-hmm. it's very subtle, but it's it's there. And I I mean, if I thought Stephen King put thought into this, I could say that it's because of like the reference to the Incredible Shrinking Man and like male insecurity. But I think it just sure. sub I think it just subconsciously comes through. Yeah, I feel like that's giving him too much credit. It is giving him too much credit, especially since there's that random scene where for some reason Scott gets paid $582,674.50 for designing <laughs> a website. Yeah. Like I'm in the wrong job. And especially since he seemed to use it, did he make this? Own, this is not, he like goes on to like, 
practically Squarespace and is like clicking like predetermined templates to make this website. Like, did he design the software that designs the website? If so, I feel like he could make more money by licensing that out. But like, none of this made any sense. But why do we see him get such a specific amount of money that, that he literally does nothing with? Yeah, no, he doesn't do anything with it. And that didn't even occur to me as I read it the first time around. I didn't, I didn't even think about it. Like he gives away his cat. Um, and he thinks about, you know, all this other stuff, but he doesn't do anything with that money. No. And it, so it's completely pointless. And I thought, oh, maybe he'll like, you know, donate it to like a cause or like a political action committee, you know, just something. But he never does anything with it. He doesn't do anything to actually affect change in this small town. Or maybe like to an LGBT group um, or something right. like that. But um, I'm not surprised that he doesn't because like I, I've I've mentioned in my notes, I don't feel like Scott really cares about gay people or their plight. He just wants to be Mr. Nice Guy. He just wants to be Mr. Na- nice Guy. He gets to be Mr. Nice Guy. He's very satisfied with himself. Um, and then he floats away with like, a firework in his arms. I could not figure out what was happening at the end of this book. I thought he was going to blow himself up because he's holding a giant rocket as he floats up into space. And then the rocket goes off, but he's still alive. Yeah. I think he just wanted to shoot off a firework. So something pretty could happen as he's floating away. That would be, you know, inspiring and moving to this worshipful lesbians down on the road below. Um, but yeah, there, I don't think there was any other point to it besides that. And yeah, he probably just kept floating up and up and up and until, you know, he died. Well, yeah, I thought he was going to blow himself up. And the, But then the last paragraph says, they watched until the last golden sparks went out and the night was dark again. Somewhere high above them, Scott Carey continued to gain elevation, rising above the Earth's mortal grip with his face turned toward the stars. And I was like, is his face still attached to his body? Because he just like blew up a rocket that went on for an exceedingly long period of time. It was a really strange idea. Um, I also am not sure why he decided that this would be the perfect way to um, essentially die because that's what's going to happen. I mean, there's there's a lot of other non-horrifying ways he could have done it that would have been quick and easy and um, not so much filled with the unknown because um, who knows what the heck is going to happen once he gets up there. Well, I had to wonder if once um, we made the connection to this incredible shrinking man, I looked up the ending to it and there's this long quote from the end of that movie. I don't know if it's different from the book or not, but the main character, also Scott Carey, um, says, I looked up as if somehow I would grasp the heavens, the universe, worlds beyond number, God's silver tapestry spread across the night. And in that moment, I knew the answer to the riddle of the infinite. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, um, I, I felt my body dwindling, melting, become nothing. My fears melted away. And in their place came acceptance. All this vast majesty of creation, it had to mean something. And then I meant something too. Yes, smaller than the smallest. I meant something too. To God, there is no zero. I still exist, which is a lot of male insecurity right there. It reminded me of, like, I think Sarah Silverman was told this anecdote once about being on a radio show or something, and somebody called in to heckle her and was saying all these nasty things. And then as they were about to hang up on him, he just said, I exist. 
like <laughs> right as they hung up as if like the main reason he was being a troll was just to like prove that he existed to the universe right you know rooted in this insecurity about like what if i'm doing something that means nothing what if my life amounts to nothing and so maybe that's what he's getting against here but again he had half a million dollars that he could have left like he could have made an endowment at a college or something or a scholarship for like gay students if he actually wanted to leave like a lasting legacy uh, yeah, absolutely. That would be a much more interesting and meaningful way to to leave a legacy than just floating up into the air and dying. <laughs> and blowing up a rocket. Ooh, like who cares? Yeah, I know I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything you did care about in this book? Not really. Um, I did kind of <laughs> like the, um, the fall, the fallness of it all, um, but not enough to like the book or to care about anything that he had to say um there is nothing like a new england fall when all the leaf peepers come out yes um which i thought it was interesting he he mentioned that as well Um, did he mention leaf peeping yeah he did he specifically mentioned leaf peeping because they were talking about um that the leaf peepers giving them a little boost in um in the restaurant and he used the phrase peepers yeah Oh, wow. I must have just glazed right over that because I'm like, yep, they're peepers. Yeah, I would have thought that was really weird had I not already had you tell me that that's literally what they're called (laughs) up there. Yeah, and it's out to become part of me, such a part of me that I didn't even notice. Um, Also, Stephen King continues in this book his trend of um, fat shaming, um, having Mm, a problem with fat people um, and obesity in general. Um, As I mentioned before, I have at least six examples of fat shaming going on in this book um, from a variety of people, from Deidre, from the people that signed him up for the turkey trot, um, from random people he's running with during the race. Everybody thought that he was old and fat and was going to die of a heart attack if he ran this race. Yes, the person signing him up for the race says, all those bacon burgers and cheese omelets have a way of coming back to haunt a fellow. Bear it in mind if you feel your chest tightening up. I know. And, if somebody had said that to me when I was signing up for a race, I would be like, fuck you, man. Well, not only that, but that is the person who owns the restaurant <laughs> where he goes and buys these meals. Oh, yeah. Like, why would you ever go back to that shithead's restaurant? Uh, like, yeah. I, like, if you think that my eating habits are so unhealthy, maybe I should stop eating at your shitty restaurant. Exactly. None of that made sense. But yeah, Deirdre yeah, but- also calls him a typical overindulgent, underexercised white American male. Which is true. Well. <laughs> but still, still fat shaming. Well, yes, and, and so am I. Yeah, there was uh, there was somebody that he's running with. There was Deirdre. There was the person that signed him up. Then there was there was three other examples on page 78, page 85, and page 87 that I didn't even write down. Um, I just marked them as additional um, fat shaming moments. Wow. So he he really got that in there. His point seemed to be that he's a nice guy. Um, he wants to reach across the divide of this country. Um, he doesn't want to change. He doesn't want to have any sort of personal character development. Um, male gaze, fat shaming. Done. Done. Float away. Bye, bitch. And die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't... <laughs> uh, how many people? Like, I could think of three or four people off the top of my head who I wish would just float up into the sky and die. 
the one other thing that I had an issue with with the book was the unexplained phenomenon of him losing weight. And um, there's a lot of books where, um, it, you know, something's happening and it's not really explained, but that's because it's not really the point. It's just a catalyst for, you know, the rest of the story. And I guess that same could be said for, for this book as well. But um, it seems to have some very arbitrary and convenient rules to it. Um, depending on what needs to be done. Like if Scott needs to sit in a chair, the chair isn't going to float up with him. But if he puts a chair in his pocket, then it'll suddenly become weightless or something. Oh yeah. Cause people also become weightless. Like if he touches them. Right. Yeah. That was strange. And again, just unnecessary, unnecessary details since it wasn't impactful at all on the story or the plot. Are we supposed to get some sort of metaphor out of this? Like, ooh, you know, he touches you and you too become weightless. And uh, I don't know, believe in miracles and change Maybe the world. It goes back to that whole savior thing. Yeah. Anyway, it just kind of annoyed me. But did you have anything well, else you it, wanted to say about that? Yes. What annoyed me the most is that I could not figure out how big Castle Rock, Maine is supposed to be. Oh, right. Um, this was driving me insane because like, this town doesn't, ex- I mean, this town obviously doesn't exist. Like it's a fictional town, but right. it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense within the context of the book. So this is a town that's appeared in other Stephen King books, correct? That's right. So I um, was Googling Castle Rock, Maine, and um, I was on the Wikipedia page and it said that the population of Castle Rock, Maine was, around 1500 during the book needful things now does that book take place in the 90s when it was published is that like a modern day yes it is and at the end of that at the end of that novel um a good portion of the, the the town gets blown up whoops well they must have rebuilt pretty well since this town is big enough to like have a mayor and like thousands of people did they how many people come to this turkey trot i mean it feels like hundreds a lot of people came to that turkey trot, but, you know, they came from all out of town as well. Right. But so I, you know, I once ran the Dallas turkey trot, which, oh, yeah. um, so it has a 5k fun run. And then there's like the more serious one, which is also, which is a 12k like serious run. And on Wikipedia, for some reason, the most recent statistic was from like 2006, but only 3,200 people signed up for the Dallas, Texas 12k turkey trot 3200 people and so i'm supposed to believe that a town in maine that has like 12 that has like 2000 people gets even a uh, a fraction of that you know that makes no sense um they also seem to have a mayor which also makes no sense because a town the size of castle rock would most likely have a board of selectmen um or even if it is a city but they call it a town right yes yeah so there's no way it has a mayor but yet the mayor flies in dressed as santa claus on a helicopter on a helicopter yeah on a helicopter what is the taxpayer money going to this because i live in a small new england town we don't even want to spend like a thousand dollars to like patch potholes in a road there's no way in hell we're paying for a helicopter to come in and light a Christmas tree. Like in my town, we have this like Charlie Brown twig and a, and a stuffed sheep with a Santa hat on it. <laughs> that is, that is our Christmas display in our park. And 
Also, a thousand people show up for this tree lighting. Just logistically, in a town that only has 2,000 people in it, where are these people going to park? Where are they going to stand? Where is this tree where people are going to be able to congregate and see it? The tree needs to be in the town center, and the town center cannot accommodate a thousand people in these small New England towns. No, I can't. And like, Stephen King used to live in one of these towns, right? Yeah, well, he still does. I mean, I don't think Bangor is all that big. No, Bangor has a city council. But yeah, so so Stephen King's like inability to grasp small town politics really pissed me off, especially in a book that is ostensibly about like bridging a political divide that, um, you know, name drops the, the current president and it's set in this world, um, but yet makes no effort to understand how small town politics work. And when, if you want to have any sort of, you know, action that has substance it works at a small town level like small town political action is really what you know enacts change and to not address any of that at all in this book and to completely misunderstand how small town actually works piss me off yeah it is ridiculous especially considering small towns are his favorite thing to write about yes I mean, he's written, about, he's written about Castle Rock multiple times. He's written about Derry multiple times. He's written about um, that Chester Mills, um, which is right off to the side of Castle Rock, apparently. That's where Under the Dome happened. <gasps> They're under a dome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'm going to keep an eye out in other Stephen King books we read to figure out how he's referring to people in small-town politics. Because I'm like, has Stephen King ever voted in his own local election? Like, that's what I want to know. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, he's got to have at least a basic understanding of how his own town works. But if, but if he does, I mean, he's never voted for a mayor. Yes. Maybe he decided so, that people would just expect there to be a mayor and not really know all the details. So he just threw one in. Well, that's a bad idea. Well, it is. So do you have a quiz for me? I do. Um, I looked up some questions. Um, do these you, have answers? Uh, they have answers. Yes. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> and making sure. You... All right. Are you ready to take the quiz? I'm ready. Hit me. All right. Question number one. Why do people at the turkey trot signups assume he won't be able to finish the race? Because he's Scott. a fat ass. Basically, yes. Good In job. Thank you. Ten points. Ooh, okay. Wow, I'm getting graded. Okay. That's Question new. number two. Mm-hmm. Why does Scott decide he likes Missy? Because she, like, is scared like a deer. <laughs> Basically, it was like, yeah, she was brave enough to come talk to him in the first place. Right, but he, he admires her small, helpless qualities. Yes, which is also gross and dumb. I really hate him. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, how he literally describes her as looking like a deer and scampering away like he's afraid he'll look at her too harshly and she'll just like scamper off into the highway and get hit by a truck. Right. Like she's a delicate little deer like creature that he he must protect. A sweet little thing. Pretty Mm -hmm. in a figure hugging dress. Yes. Yes. Anyway, moving on. Number three. Why does the snow cause such a challenge for Scott? Snow? Snow. Oh, because he is so weightless and the ground is slippery. He has no traction. 
Yes, that is exactly it. Right. He goes sliding to the mailbox. Yeah, that was kind of, that was a little nerve wracking. I was like, oh gosh, just going to check his mail has gotten extremely um, dangerous. Yeah, if only he had lived on the same road as in Pet Cemetery. I know. Then this giant truck could have just like zoomed by and flattened him. <laughs> okay, I got a little too excited about that idea. Yeah, sorry. Bloodlust. <laughs> Question number four. Why is Scott amused by all the people that show up and applaud when Deirdre lights the tree? Because, like, they were just calling them crack snackers before Thanksgiving. Right. Like, the whole town hated them, and now they love them and think their tree lighting abilities are amazing. Mm-hmm. Question number five. As long as they don't try to marry the tree. Right. Then that's, that's crossing the line. Mm-hmm. Anything to do with marriage is just spitting in their face. Mm-hmm. Question number five. Why does Deirdre think Scott came to her restaurant in chapter two? Uh, to talk about poop? Um, specifically to make her uncomfortable. Oh, okay. To harass her. Yeah. All right. That's I don't pretty much what I thought, that too. One. No points for that one. Mm. Question number six. Why does the little girl tell Scott she and her brother did not go to Missy and Deidre's house to trick or treat? Because they're lesbians. <laughs> yes, her parents told her they were not nice ladies. Right. And she said they were lesbians because the little girl les- misunderstood. Lesbians, yes, which Stephen King then says like 50 more times. Also, Deirdre and Missy totally seemed like the type of people who would pass out raisins on Halloween, so. (laughs) Who wants to go there anyway? Yeah, you're probably making a valid point. Raisins or a pencil. Or or little little toothpastes. Do people do that? Do people give away toothpaste on Halloween? (laughs) Well, they do in popular media. I've never had anyone actually give me some, but. Well, when was the last time you trick-or-treated? Way too long ago. I really feel like there should be some sort of adult trick-or-treating that that can happen because I miss it a lot. Well, you just need to, like, wrangle some children to, you know, and you supervise them. Yeah, I keep hearing that. So if I can find some children for this next October, I'm totally going to trick-or-treat. I believe in you. Oh, thank you. Question number seven. Why does Dr. Bob think making a reservation at Holy Frijole will be unnecessary? Because no one goes there. Yep, because he thinks nobody eats there. Mm-hmm. Well, he's right. <laughs> yeah, he is. Question number eight. What reason does Scott give Mike about why he needs him to take his cat? Who's Mike? Mike's the guy that works at the bookstore. Oh, right. Um, Gosh, I don't remember why. He's going on a trip. That's exactly the right answer. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, Mike He's going runs on a trip the to outer space. Right, um, Mike runs the bookstore in town. That is, um, I think it has the stupid name of Book Nook. Um, and Scott felt that the, every bookstore needs a cat, so it might as well give his cat to Mike before he decides to float up into the atmosphere and die. Are you going to ask me what the cat's name is? What is the cat's name? Isn't it Bill D. Cat? 
Bill D. Cat. And what is that name from? Doonesbury. Close. Oh, really? Where is it from? It's from uh, Bloom County, or also oh, called right. Outland. Um, yeah. Okay, the other comic that I used to skip when I was a child. Yeah, it's had a few incarnations with different names for some reason. Yeah, that one in, in Doonesbury. I'd skip right over those. <laughs> well, that's a shame. Doonesbury was very good for at least a, a, an extended amount of time. Well, I mean, when I was a child, I didn't need to oh, want, yeah, no. read or understand like Bill Clinton commentary in Doonesbury. Right. You probably are right. You wouldn't have cared about that. Yes. Let's I only see wanted here. to follow, read Garfield and, and follow Billy and the family circus. Follow that dotted line right off a cliff. <laughs> All right. Next question. I will support Garfield, but family circus. I mean, did you not have standards as a child? I only, when I saw the dotted line, I like zeroed right in on that. Okay. But if it's like grandpa's ghost talking about Jesus in heaven, ugh, who cares? <laughs> yawn. All right. I just, just had to double check there. Yeah. Um, last question. Why does Scott think it might not be safe for him to hug Deidre? Because they're going to float away together. Yeah, well, it, it'll cause weightlessness, and he's, like, concerned that sudden weightlessness could, like, negatively affect her or give her a heart attack or something. Turn her straight. Yeah, or turn her straight, which is totally mm-hmm. something that could happen from, from that situation, I'm sure. I'm surprised he didn't think of that. I know. That, that would have fit right in with everything else in this garbage book. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that was a good did, quiz. Yeah, you did pretty good on the quiz. I missed one. I'll agree with that, yes. I kept track. Because <laughs> I'm very competitive. I know you are. That's why you mm-hmm. are the person that answers the questions as opposed to giving them. Because I just know that <laughs> that's the way it's got to be. I take it very seriously. Yeah, I missed question five. Well, you know what? You're going to try harder next time, and I'm sure you're going to get 100%. I will. What are we reading next time? Next time, we're going to be reading, um, is it called A Very Tight Place? It's called A Very Tight Place. (laughs) Is that the name of the story? That's the name of the story. Uh, Yeah. So um, it's an interesting title for the story. Um, It is Stephen King's first story of any kind with a gay protagonist um and i remember kind of a big deal being made about it at the time when it came out in the collection just after sunset um so that is what we're going to be reading next time it is significantly shorter and um probably just as problematic though i'm sure and significantly disgusting yeah um i haven't finished reading it yet but i remember it uh, being pretty gross Yeah, I don't get squeamish, but don't read that one while you're eating. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, did you have anything else that you wanted to add about Elevation or talk about Elevation? Bye, bitch. That's it. Okay. Um, Thank you, everyone who has been listening to our podcast. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, We are now available on pretty much every podcast app you could possibly listen to a podcast on. Um, So, Please go to iTunes, review us, and check out our 
um, a newest episode when that one comes out. All right. So until next time, be curious. Goodbye, everybody. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.